Section 17 of An Itinerant House and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Scano. An Itinerant House and Other Stories by Emma Frances Dawson. Are the Dead Dead? Part 2 This was all off the journal. There was nothing else in the secretary except a book of poems by the Countess Han Han. Side by side with her playful love was pinned a page of notepaper which bore the last of her verses in a version made by the writer of the diary. Must I die? Straight will soar my soul above to thee and thou new life will lend new light to me and i could i with thee quite blend i should not fear to die shall i with spirits keep no though i soar depart as spirits heavenward sweep yet thy heaven is thy heart thou wilt thy true and shield and ever sympathize and ope to him the field of that calm paradise and then the portal golden soft softly close again where i in peace enfolden shall ever rest from pain as of a morn the bee in tulip lies apart asleep all hid in thee swayed off and in thy heart i was amazed at these bits of a shattered romance for the writer had long been known abroad and i had read of his being made court singer for life in a far-off country it was like too late looking down some charming road one might have taken i sighed was my sigh echoed or was it the sound of the swaying boughs of the old gum trees? I could not stay. I ran home to think it over. I remembered the weird music which had so strangely mingled with my thoughts when I refused the man whom he saw. I was still lost in wonder over it when, in spite of my resolves, I joined the club at night. Neither my companion of the night before nor my old neighbor were there this time. This is a risky scheme, said the believer. It is playing with edge tools. We fail to see anything, said the inquirer, because visions must come without being evoked, as by the witches in the play. Shut off in different rooms, said the joker. Who knows which is which? What I cannot make agree with there being ghosts said the learned-looking inquirer. Is this? Heraclitus says, Nothing is, but all flows. Being is not a station, but a motion, a constant becoming. So, those out of the flesh are not the same as when in it. Always moving on. No one crosses the same street or sees the same picture twice. Then, cried the joker, Debtor and creditor of yesterday lose that relation today. Oh, 
let us be joyful. Buddha, said the doubter, called the soul a current of states. When the mechanism goes to pieces, the soul is gone. It was only the mass of associations, experience, and memory. That, said the believer, puts man on a level with a table or chair. Yes, said the joker. Let us be chary of that unstable belief. Life is a current of states, said I. It is not in our frames, or in years, but in moments of bliss or woe, hope or despair, pain, disgust, strength, or weakness. Those who have not known raptures and desolations have no spirit to come back. We were placed as before, but not without much dispute. I thought of the odd folks now in these rooms, queer as the thoughts that lurk in the cells of a madman's brain. I waited, like them, but not for the same reason. I was anxious for his coming, though I felt faint and ready to run home to shun meeting his eyes. What if he did not come? At the thought, a weight on my spirits changed the look of the room, as a cloud dulls the sunny landscape. With a thrill, a shiver of delight, I heard him enter. As he stood for a moment, looking at me over the lamp on the table, the faint radiance making his statuesque beauty glow out of the dimness as if conjured by a spell. The scent of the breath of heaven and clove pink in his buttonhole might have been that of spices burned for an incantation. What was it I saw in those fine eyes? Neither scorn nor pity. They were kind, but full of an overwhelming surprise. Again, he murmured, then kept the club rule of silence. I was confused. I could scarcely breathe. My head whirled. I reeled to a chair. The flickering rays of the lamp danced about him, like my restless thoughts while we waited. Waited? I forgot the club, the house, that I was in the city, in the world. I knew only that the man I loved sat before me. I could not love those who sought me. How was it that my heart leaped at a glance from the stranger's eyes? Stranger? Had we not known each other from the first of creation? The king had come to his own again. After even the little I had known of the club disputes, I was not surprised to see the pale young man shun the others when we all left. As we went out into the windy night, the well-known street and the view seemed new. I felt as if I had left the real world behind, that truly one lived only in raptures and desolations. San Francisco, the club, were vague phantoms, dreams within dreams. I roused to myself at my own gate, with Mr. H.'s voice in my ear. Are these all? he asked, looking after the members going down the street and watching, with a pang of regret, their vanishing forms. I forgot to answer. Then I cried, Mr. H., it has just come back to me now 
how you urged my folks not to take that very house a year or two ago. Why did you do so? I don't want to see anyone live in it, he answered. My friend Kay, the rare tenor, used to be there. Poor fellow. He was to have married a cousin whose money helped him to study music, but I have always thought his heart was elsewhere. She held him in a thrall which wore upon him, and the voice, most frail of all instruments, is hurt by worry. His was, and at last left him. The shock and disappointment killed him. Oh, I am so sorry, I cried. I never saw him, but I shall not forget his voice. And Robin Adair, it was like the flute of the twilight wind. Yes, said Mr. H., as I stood by his grave. I thought of what Antipatis said over the tomb of Orpheus. Here lies a poet. Here lies a soul that sang. Here lies the sound of the wind. He did not want to die, though he would say to me, Then I shall be free. His cousin, a spiteful woman, seemed to hate to have him escape her control, though he did that whenever he sang. His voice raised a magic wall around him. We can only listen afar. After his death, she said to me, He has got away from me now, but wait till I die. With a motion that was a threat, she would not return here and has been trying to have the house sold. But why did you not want us to move there? I asked. He once said to me, Mr. H. went on, If, when I dream, I can see the old house, go over it, see her in the window across the way, may it not be that such pleasure felt by me now through none of the nerves of sense will be known to my spirit after I die? Perhaps, unheard, Unseen, the two worlds blend, and we shall move along our old paths with rare visions of the living who will seem unreal and awful to us. I wonder if my soul could then affect one I loved, or must I be a fitting specter with no power? We shall see. Then you believe, I began. I have no belief, he said quickly. It seems to me nothing is too strange to happen. Unconsciously repeating the words of a club member. No, I thought, after he left me. I should wonder at nothing after feeling this sudden deep interest in two strangers. Such regret for the singer, and such absorbing passion for my companion of the last two evenings. Why had I not asked Mr. H. who he was? The next night, I meant should be my last with the club. Shrunk this time for the inquirer and wife and the joker. I have believe, said the inquirer, 
Shadows are bound to go through tragedies whose scenes shift with no lookers-on. Night after night, year after year, as if the R could not forget, and would not let the place do so. It is the horror of doom, but it is not for all to have it proved to them. Our inner sense has its bounds, like our other senses. The Joker wound the great hall clock, which began to work with convulsive gasps, as if it had been scared into silence. Too frightened, he said, to cover its face with its hands. The small room where I sat had at once a charm and a sadness for me. I was filled with the vain desire to have known its old tenant. I wondered about the end of such strong passions as his. Can they cease here? Are they merely to brighten our path like vivid colors in flowers and sky? In fancy, I heard again the lovely tenor airs from Lucia, Faust, and Martha, which had of old rung through this window. I thought of his journal and his translation of the German love song, and I was haunted, haunted by two lines of Jean Ingelow's. I have no place on sea or shore, but only in thy heart. But through it all, ran the stronger undercurrent of longing for the coming of the pale young member of the club, a longing that made me blame my fickle heart, so touched by one stranger's love and grief, and just as much thrilled by another's sweet eyes, a longing that made me tremble, and made my heart, at the sound of his step, feel as if clutched by fate, and nearly powerless to beat. He started at seeing me, and, pausing an instant, murmured, Once more, and sank into a chair, which stood back to the door. And again, I was spellbound by a shy, but ardent gaze, by the scent of the same sweet flowers he wore. With none of my suitors, thronging like bees about the honey of my wealth, had I ever felt this tumult of emotion, I was glad of the club rule of silence. I could have thrown myself into his arms, but I could not speak. What was the fatal enigma his eyes held? They had a mystic spell, as if they had seen deeper than most eyes. Looking into them, my soul was lured down an unknown tide, on and on, voyaging through their unspeakable glory, with glimpse of a new world behind them dropping through endless gulfs, till only by a fierce strain I turned my head away, blinded, breathless, dazed, and awed, for far down in those fathomless depths I touched eternity. I found the immortal love. Sitting there so long, so still, it seemed to my strained nerves that we were like ghosts, and only the pictures on the wall had life and motion. The whole clock groaned twelve times, but my watch lacked ten minutes of twelve. A cold draught rushed in, as at the opening and closing of some of the doors. A nameless fear seized me. 
but a woman I had not yet seen with the club looked in at the open door. Surprise, doubt, and scorn in her intent face. A woman more to be feared than a ghost, I thought, as I marked her evil look. She paused in amaze at sight of us. Suddenly, the dim light wholly failed. To be in the dark was to recall the errand here of the club. It could not be borne, even with others near me. After crossing what seemed an endless space, I reached the mantle, felt for a match, found one, and groped back to the center table. As I lighted the lamp, I saw him watching me with questioning eyes, as if unmoved by the loss of the light or its return. I saw her looking in with a wicked smile. A jealous woman, I judged, all the more as she drew back before he could turn to find the cause of my changed looks. But he was curious enough to leave the room. Was she his wife? Was I bewitched by a man bound to another woman? Has each case its like? Was another man in this very house held in bonds? These questions perplexed me all night. The next afternoon, I went over to look for a favorite lace handkerchief dropped in coming out with the club. I found it caught on a thistle near the top stair. It was Sunday, and the charms of St. Patrick's Church came to me clear and sweet. Some of the words which are sung to the air they played ran through my mind. A realm of shadowy forms out yonder lies. Faint sounds of friendly voices come and go, that seem to lure us forth into the air. But whence they come, perchance no ear may know, and where they go, perchance no foot may dare. I looked at the old house, longed and yet did not like to go in, but I knew none of the club were likely to come until night, when they were there to make their last visit. And as for ghosts, had we not tested it, what worse than to be haunted by vain yearnings after a different past, or to know a present not to be shaped by my will, because a woman may not speak first? Perhaps I was to fade, the ungathered rose that cannot seek its lover's hand. Surely, if he felt as I did, he could not long rest without seeking me outside of the club. I pushed in through the dreary hall. I passed on into the small front room. It gave me the same feeling of sorrow and regret. It was like the return from a funeral. How sorry I now felt that I had never known the people who used to live here. I had often thought, perhaps the friends we never meet might have been the dearest. I could not tear myself away. For the first time, by daylight, I looked from the window, which, to my surprise, had a full view of my own room across the way. They must have known more of me than I ever knew about them. The house shook in the wind, as if stirred by unseen hands. But in the room, all was still, as if in a picture. There were the rusty nails and black moss in the grass-grown garden, and stairs as at the moated grange, 
but no fly buzzed in the window, no mouse squeaked in the wainscot, no bird chirped on the roof, nothing moved but the clock in the hall and the shadow of a gum tree across the floor. My little dog and I sat still as statues, as in the gloom of Jerome's pictures, ragged beggar and peddler, in the softened light of oriental canvas-covered streets, become grand and suggestive ideas. So in this dim, lonely room, common things had a weird, unreal look. The lounge took coffin shape. The tall, narrow secretary loomed like a monument near it. I could fancy the veil over the picture stirred. The chairs gave sudden creaks, as if bearing unseen burdens. I looked out of the window and saw the buildings of the city far below standing out in the light of the sinking sun, with sudden sharp lines, as long-forgotten things start up in the mind of one dying. Why are my thoughts all of death? Then, a line of phantoms of silent tunes, long since sung here, passed by my ears. I thought of the surprise and dislike in that woman's face the night before, and of what slight ground for jealousy she had, when he and I sat in such silence. But recalling his speaking eyes, my heart's quickened beating, and the flushes I felt mount my cheeks. I knew she had good cause. I was vexed at myself, both for being here almost against my will, and for a nervous fear which had come over me when once inside the house. I would not yield to it. There was a scrap of paper on the table. I drew a pencil from my pocket and tried to forget by writing about title the ghost of yesterday faint in the cloudless sky yet shows the last night's moon whose phantom white has haunted dawn's pale blue and rose with thrilling gleam of lost delight and lingers through the blaze of noon like banquo's ghost at macbeth's feast avaunt o spectre whose weird rune appears to me when thought of least. Though clouds from out life's sky seem furled by dazzling bliss, to me is clear. Far off and dreamlike, my own world, burnt out, my yesterday thus here. A long-drawn sigh, which sounded close by me, made me look up, Bravely as I had tried to think only of the words I wrote, I was startled. My dog crouched at my feet and barked. Had I left the front door in the latch? I rushed to see. Turning in the hall with a feeling of being watched, I saw a woman's head peering round the distant door. There was a familiar look about her. Thinking it must be one of the club, I started toward her, but she drew back and closed the door, which she held against me. Was she afraid of me? I laughed, a little nervously, wrenched it open, but no one was in sight. I called, no answer, but, glancing up, saw the same head hanging over the banister upstairs, and part of her dress. 
I was struck with something so wicked in her look that my little spits ran cowering and whining to the street door. But, thinking I ought to explain my presence there, I went upstairs. To my surprise, the woman, without waiting for me, passed down the long hall and turned the corner. I hurried after, thinking I might have frightened her, if she were a nervous member, and, in my haste, nearly fell through the lower story, for at the turning yawned an opening where stairs had been taken down. My dress caught on a nail in the floor and held me back just in time. As I freed my skirt, I saw that from the hall window, just beyond the pitfall, my house could be seen better than from downstairs. A smothered chuckle, followed by a cry of rage, made me look down. The woman was watching me from below. There must be some other flight, I thought, yet found none, and went to the lower room, but she had hidden. My verses, dropped as I ran out, were torn into shreds and strode on the floor. Thinking it was one of my dog's tricks, I felt I ought not to have brought him, that I must wait and excuse myself to her. I turned to look for him. What was this fluffy mass by the hall door? Not my gay little comrade? This poor creature in spasms? Some evil power was at work here. Even that cruel-faced woman would be welcome company. I called. No reply. I tried to open the outer door, but it seemed barred by the rusty, large lock, to which there was no key. I strove to be brave. I went through the lower part. The back door was fast. I thought she must have fled that way. It was awful to be alone there. I saw nothing strange, but felt as if dogged, doors opening behind me as soon as I closed them. I tried to think it was caused by the jar of my steps and the uneven flooring, but I felt the Bible was right to forbid the calling of spirits. Had not the ghost club brought all this horror upon me? It made no odds that they had been searching to prove there was no such thing. There was the ugly story of the hanged man, whose body was dissected and his skull ground to dust. Yet in the night, the bits were seen to join, one by one, till the man was whole, and went out of the door. I went back to the front room, trying to forget my fears, I raised the gauze screen from the portrait over the mantel. It was not unlike the face of the strange woman. In my vexation toward her, I flung the veil against it again. The next instant, my elbows were fiercely gripped from behind. I was rushed swiftly toward the window I had opened when I first came in. My heart nearly stopped beating. Years of torture seemed crowded into that one moment. I was to be thrown out, to fall from that great height to the street. I shrieked in hopeless terror. I was suddenly cast on the floor, and, when I could look round, I saw that woman near the door, with her hard face turned as if to listen. Someone was on the steps. She glided out and was upstairs, as the front door, forced by stronger hand than mine, opened, and, 
To my deep relief and joy, the pale young man came in, braced by the relief of his coming, then I could talk to him. He only nodded once in a while, but his eyes again held mine. To my questions about the woman, he shook his head and seemed surprised when I said, She was here last night. So, she had gone when he went out. I did not wonder she was jealous, as I stood there, hardly conscious of anything but the charm of his presence and the scent of the bit of breath of heaven and blood-red pink he wore. And he, he kept the club rule of silence. But I thought I knew what he was thinking. I had not slept since I had last seen him. I passed the night watching, as I lay in bed, the old house, looming dim and large against the starry sky, or, half-dozing, dreamed of flitting lights in the windows and echoing strains of music. I had not slept far thinking of him. Fancying what bliss his kisses might be, waked me as fully as a real draught of wine. Heaven help me! And he knew it. He knew it. His eyes told me that. Those wonderful eyes. They seemed so near and dear a part of myself that I forgot we were, as the world goes, strangers. Surely we had known each other for eternities. I forgot that it was not a woman's part to woo. I thought only of my love. My love, fierce as the wind, resistless as the sea, wide-spreading as the sky. I lost my senses. Where have you been all these years? I cried. We must have known each other before, for I love you. I love you. And it is no new feeling. My life has been a dream, a nightmare. At last I am awake. Do not leave me again, for I could not bear it. Stay. Stay. Oh, if it might only be, he murmured. He came nearer, bent over as if to kiss me, when a white hand was laid on his shoulder. He turned in amazement. She stood beside him. You, he groaned, with a gesture of despair, and reeled back. He grew, if possible, more bloodless than ever. I could see him tremble, dismay and dread in his face, and a hunted look came into his eyes. With a look of triumph at me, she beckoned him making a motion toward me, as of mingled farewell and warning. He slowly went after her, though often turning to look back. I followed. They passed along the hall, where my dog lay dead, out of the front door, and slowly down the long steps. At each landing he stopped, and gazed back, then followed her into the dusk, through which the members of the club were toiling up, among them Mr. H., with a lighted lantern. They paid no heed to the figures going down, and were surprised at my wild agitation. Look! Look! I cried to Mr. H. Why, your eyes have been answered, he muttered, 
staring at me. What is it? Where? When? What happened? What's the matter? H? urged the club. Let us get away from this house, he cried, looking uneasily behind him and signing to the doubter to lock the door. His hand trembled so that the lantern shook as he said, I came over in case any of you were here to warn you. I have just heard Miss Edith L., who lived here, died in Paris last night. Last night? At ten minutes of twelve o'clock? I gasped, suddenly faint. Well, he thought a moment. Yes, ten minutes past nine there would just make it. How did you know of it? Tall. Light eyes, has that stern face, not without malice, I stammered. I thought you never saw her, he said. Tall, dark, with a face like an antique bust. Divine eyes, I went on. Then you had seen him, said he. Struck by a sudden thought, he added. Do you mean, can it be that you, how, where? I caught his arm. See there, I cried, pointing where the two forms, one looking up over his shoulder, had paused on the lowest landing, but now moved on. Could it be that my touch made him see as I did? My God, he cried his nerveless hand dropping the lantern. Then I was too late. I sank, limp and helpless, on the top stair. The glare of the lantern on the club's eager faces round me, with their various looks of wonder, doubt, content, fear, and pity, the jeering sound of the foghorn, the shock of such an end to my romance, a keen sense of life's raptures and desolations, all made me hysterical as I burst forth. You, you think? I know, he answered, with awestruck face, white to the very lips that could scarcely say the words. You have seen the ghosts. End of section 17 Recording by Mary Scano End of An Itinerant House and Other Stories by Emma Frances Dawson